Welcome to Learning Minnesota, connecting people one conversation at a time. Today's guest is Natalie Ringsmuth, Executive Director of Unite Cloud. Our topic today is how relationships can transform a community. Natalie, you know what? Let's talk. But Let's first, do it. I know, right? But first, <laughs> I know a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is really the power of storytelling when we're when we're thinking about how to build relationships and how relationships can then become um, help to transform the community. So if you would just in this first part, give us a little bit of your bio or a little maybe seed planted for your story that we'll talk more about in a moment. Yes, well, I, um, I grew up actually in Texas part of my life. That's where I was born and then moved to central Minnesota in fourth grade with a very thick Texan accent, thinking that fourth graders were supposed to wear dresses to school. I, I, I didn't get the memo. It was the middle of the winter. Oh, I went to school in dress and tights. Just wasn't a good scene. Um, so I felt a little bit different then, but you know, I, I figured out how to, how to integrate into central Minnesota from, from South Texas. Uh, what I, I graduated from Sock Rapids High School uh, in 97, went to Concordia Moorhead uh, for music education, graduated 2001, and then moved right down to Atlanta, and I was a middle school choir teacher for a few years. I worked in the church sector for about a decade, um, doing worship leading and family life uh, planning, and then uh, about five years ago, started a nonprofit called Unite Cloud, where we're helping folks know, love, and stand up for their neighbors. Uh, so that's my current work. I'm also on the St. Cloud School Board. And I have three kids, um, two teenagers and a sixth grade girl. You can see her when she was two back behind me there. But um, yeah, husband, dog, chauffeur, you know, the yeah. works. The works. <laughs> Thanks for so having I me here it. today. <laughs> Thank you. I love that you put it that way. The works, because isn't that the truth for, for all of us? When we think about um, telling our stories, it's, it's when, when, we, when we share those pieces of the works. And no matter if they are something that you might consider insignificant, um, but to others, it might be something that is a huge part of their life. But throughout the idea of sharing those pieces, that's where we can start to make the connections with one another. Um, and as I was telling those of you who are listening or watching right now, as um, we were prepping for this, I was telling Natalie, I was working on one of my professional reads and I learned um, that by sharing your story, we were talking about, I was reading about building relationships and building relationships is something I think sometimes educators, when they hear that, it's like eye roll. <laughs> I know that's the foundational piece. That's the first and foremost. And so I think a lot of times when somebody throws the, that term out there, it, it people might start to build up a little bit of a wall because it seems maybe cutesy or it seems maybe like it has nothing to do with the state tests or the federal, you know, the, what about the, the standards, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I think, um, but what I, I saw and I learned was that through storytelling, which is a brilliant way to be able to cultivate relationships and those connections, the brain actually releases dopamine and chemicals that are kind of like that feel good just through listening to the other purple, the other person's stories. Um, and so when that is set, 
that allows the person to kind of feel like they are part of that belonging, that mm-hmm. love. And then, you know, that whole Maslow before bloom sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then we can get to all of the other pieces. So um, the work, That's- what a great way to put that <laughs> yes. first story. And then you, you just introduced yourself, just that little piece. So <sighs> Um, well, so, and if anybody who's taught middle schoolers like I have, you know that there's a hierarchy of needs. And first of all, they have to belong. They have to know they're safe um, or they will do what, what preteens are supposed to do, act out, try yes. to get out of there, right? And so um, it, it was always w- when I figured out how to teach, which I didn't know my first year. Anybody who's been a first year teacher knows you're just like, this isn't what the textbooks were about. <laughs> but um, once, I, once I realized that it was about relationships over anything else, um, my, my classroom got much calmer. Um, we had much deeper connection. Uh, we were able to do more. Um, and that, that's just translated into the rest of my life. If we can be in relationship with each other, meaningful relationship, there's nothing we can't do together. Yeah. Thank you. And I was just thinking you and I could probably go on many bird walks talking about different pieces of of building relationships but we are here I'm scared um, of birds so can we do like a deer walk I don't know sure or we could go off path there you go we could go off path on that um so tell you you know you said that you had moved back up here and you've been Mm -hmm. the executive director for five years or well you've um worked with Unite Cloud for the Mm -hmm. last five years and so maybe if you could dive a little bit more into your story about how that came to be. It sounds mm-hmm. like you were a, a Texas girl and mm-hmm. came to Minnesota. You said you graduated from Sac Rapids um, and then went down. So it's kind of like you're back. I know. <laughs> the we're two opposite North and South, South or extreme North, right? <laughs> so yes, yeah, yeah, so but go ahead. After I graduated from Concordia College in Moorhead, um, I decided I wanted to get out of central Minnesota as much as I love it here, I needed, you know, 21 year old, you want to get out of here for a while. And, and so I was going to go and teach in the cities. And then um, my boyfriend at the time, my fiance at the time, and I, who's now been my husband for over 20 years, decided just to move to Atlanta. Um, his sister was down there and we were like, you know what, let's, let's just do this. And so I ended up getting a job down there, but um, I got I didn't know my start date. I'm thinking like Minnesota start dates are, you know, for new teachers, end of August. Well, after I got my start date, I realized it was four days after the date of my wedding here in Minnesota. <laughs> and so, so we would open up our presents um, the day after the wedding and put them in a U-Haul. And then our honeymoon was on a U-Haul down to Atlanta. <laughs> but my first year of teaching, um, uh, I taught all three years in, uh, in the southern part of Atlanta. And uh, it was the first time that uh, I, I was a minority in any um, area. When I stood in front of my classroom, all of my students were black. And um, that wasn't something that I was prepared for in at Concordia Moorhead. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something I was prepared for by growing up in central Minnesota, um, 80s and 90s, everybody looked like me and, and pretty much worshiped like me as well. And so uh, all of a sudden, I was faced with difference. And I was faced with not racist attitudes, because you know, my family didn't raise me to be that way. But I just didn't have the socialization and the training to understand not only where are my internal biases, but also what does it look like um, to teach in poverty? So um, I was in more of an inner city school and um, the free and reduced lunch rate was over 90%. 
And that I think we talked about teaching in free uh, in a high poverty schools for one day of one uh, semester in college. I think it was like a video. So, you know, really, how do I teach these kids who, first of all, need to know that I love them? Second of all, need to know if you need a snack or if you just need to go over on that couch and sleep because you didn't get any sleep last night and you need to do that. You know, all those needs being met. And then let's try to make beautiful music together. Um, but that isn't the most important thing. So that's a change from, you know, the way I grew up and the way that my life I thought was going to be shaped, but what it did is shape me into the person I am today. Um, I've always had way too much empathy <laughs> and um, it can get me in trouble sometimes, but uh, that's really why I started Unite Cloud five years ago. Uh, we were going through a hard time in central Minnesota and especially in St. Cloud. Um, we have in the past 20 years, um, gone from uh, hardly anybody who doesn't look like me to uh, St. Cloud is now 30% people of color. And a majority of those people of color uh, are from Somalia or are Somali Americans or Somalis. And so this is a big change for us. Uh, and we have really struggled with it. And we struggled because of uh, being a different skin color. We've struggled because of different religions. Um, because of different ethnicities, languages. I mean, there's just so much difference. Um, but what we wanted to do at Unite Cloud was help people to get to know each other, break down those barriers. And once people can know each other, they can start to love each other. And if you love someone, if they're hurt or if they're marginalized, you will stand up for them. And so that is really the path to transformation that we took for Unite Cloud and that we're still taking today. I love that. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, so your experience in Atlanta, how did that go from, wow, like I, I am, I'm feeling and experiencing something that I haven't before to, I want to go back to Minnesota and start something like, I didn't want to come back here. I'm okay. just here. No, <laughs> we, um, yeah, long story short, we moved back up here for my husband's job. And so, um, his family's down in, in Atlanta and my family's here. And so, um, it was, it's nice to, to have a place for both families, but yeah, but that's why we moved back up here. And so I was thinking I'd go back into teaching, um, but I worked, I was working in churches while my kids were younger, so I could have a flexible schedule. And um, my daughter was in kindergarten when I started Unite Cloud. And so uh, then I just kind of stayed with that path instead of going back to teaching. But that's, that's my full-time job. And then um, being part of the school board as well, I've really been able to take the things that I have learned as a teacher and as a parent, as a community educator, um, and uh, now as a school board member and understand um, what, where we need to move in education, especially as white teachers in a multiracial classroom, or even as white teachers in an all-white classroom. Um, the, the, the curriculum isn't going to teach itself when it comes to that sort of a, a, a work that has to start internally first and then um, can come out in your, in your teaching. I have, um, as you were just talking, I have several questions and it becomes <laughs> one of those where in my head, I have the question, but I want to be present in the moment and listen to you, but I don't want to lose the question. <laughs> so an assistant. That I know, right? Mind. I like it down. Um, so really what you just said, several things resonated with me and um, I can connect and identify with the idea that for me, 
people I graduated from Albany area schools just down the road you know yes. or just down the road from Sac Rapids and it was the same it was everybody looked like me and worshiped like mm. me and and um and then when I was uh welcomed into my first school for teaching it was the very very same there were mm -hmm. absolutely no students um of color whatsoever mm. and then I went south um just maybe 10 miles and accepted a different position than I was there for eight years and very few again and when right. I went for my um after my master's I went for my principal license and in going through my portfolio the biggest key thing that I was lacking was that diversity or the mm. experience with working with students of different cultures and ethnicities right. and and so I remember thinking but how do you do that and in a way now right. I'm having one of those it's an unfortunate moment that I was told that that was missing I mean I still was I was able to get mm. my license but rather than having me go I need to do this that was my like aha moment was when others told me that that's mm. something that I, would, that I was missing out of right. all of my years of career and um, schooling. So uh, I'm, I'm wondering, because right now here in the central Minnesota area, and whether those people who are listening or watching right now are from uh, or, or do work in schools or entities that um, serve students of color or those who are maybe out in the rural school districts who the majority of our students are white middle class. Um, mm -hmm. How does one who might be have be in what I was at that time in my shoes where I didn't have experience, I wasn't seeking to work elsewhere, mm -hmm. um, but how do I connect or how do I learn? Like, yeah. Can you share? And I, I think that's what Unite Cloud really is seeing, seeking to do is to, to be able to magnify voices and, and allow people to share their stories, to increase that connection relationships. Mm -hmm. And like you said, and then that love. So if I am a teacher at a predominantly white middle-class mm -hmm. school and how, how do I go out of my comfort zone or how do I seek to understand where I'm maybe missing or need a little bit of cleaning yeah. up my lens and how do I push that to my students who are getting the same experience that I did you right. know, 20 30 years ago that we know is actually detrimental when they get out into the, the right. bigger world so that might yeah. be a big question I'm sorry but I'm so curious I love I it wish I could go back in time and uh, figure out how to do that without I don't know, I guess I wasn't ready to leave my position, but I understood that all of my positions really had not allowed me to mm -hmm. have those experiences. So what would yeah. you think you could share? I'm, I think that, you know, there's from the Unite Cloud Lens, we have a training called Moving from um, Indifference to Action. And so there's, there's steps there that you can take to do that. But before I go into that, I want to say that it, it was it's the same thing that happened to me, very similar thing. I stood in front of my classroom as a first year teacher um, in 2001, um, you know, and two weeks into uh, uh, teaching, 9-11 um, happened. And we were um, just minutes away from the Atlanta airport. And it all of a sudden went from, I'm so different from these kids um, and from these families to understanding that 
at, when when there's a tragedy, like parents were rushing to come pick up their kids because there was word that there there would be multiple issues at, at multiple airports, and Atlanta's one of the biggest ones in the nation, and so um, so there was a lot of fear. And then it was just looking through. I've never, I've never actually told this story before, so this is pretty cool. But um, it, it was looking through the eyes of of parents. Like it doesn't matter if these parents were single parents or if it was the grandma picking them up or um, if it was a brother, um, if they couldn't pick them up because they, they worked in the city and were going to be like an hour and a half away and then they were freaking out. Like this was just all of us suddenly in a moment of panic trying to decide what we were going to do together. So it was incumbent on teachers to stay, to stay um, neutral, right? And not, not, show anything in the classroom, you know, just really be like, yep, your parents are going to come and it's going to be okay. It's going to be a normal school day. And, you know, so that's what teachers do, right? We, we put ourselves on the back burner and our emotions on the back burner so that we can really connect with our students and make our students safe. Um, it, it uh, unfortunately, I wasn't magically a better teacher after 9-11. Um, it took me really being a horrible teacher from until, until Christmas break winter break and telling my husband, I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't teach anymore. I'm not cut out for this. Um, but he was going to school and I was the only one working. So I'm like, I guess I got to do something. So I decided to stay teaching for the rest of the year and just blew everything up. Just was like, anything I know, I'm just going to be like, never mind. I don't know anything. And so I went to my students on January 2nd or whatever and um, just had a huge white piece of paper across uh, the back wall. And I said, you know what? I haven't been a good teacher and I, I have failed you bet between September and December. And uh, I, I wanna get better. And only way I know what to do to get better is for us to work together. And so they told me the things that I was doing that weren't great. They told me the things that they were doing that, that, uh, that, I, that I was doing that they liked. And then we decided, um, together, what was our classroom going to look like so that we were able to succeed together? And it was some of those things I talked about before. It's like, you know what, sometimes, um, you know, my, when, if an uncle comes home from prison or something, then my parents are par partying all night on a Sunday, and then I have to get up and go to school, and I'm so tired. And so can, can you, can I just ask you if I can just like sit on the couch for 10 minutes? Like, it's just real life stuff like that. Um, and so lots of grace and lots of seeing my, my friend Ayan Omar who teaches in uh, who teaches in St. Cloud School District at Tech, she's, she talks about, she has a wonderful training about teaching, uh, seeing the child before the student. And so that's basically what we were doing there. They were seeing me as a person before a teacher and I was seeing them as a child before I was seeing them as students that have to behave and learn this music and learn this scale, right? Yes. And because we got there together, we were able to succeed um, in ways we weren't before. And, mm -hmm. and what, what I did there was really what um, the scale of indifference to action I put myself on that without ever knowing that that's what I was doing. And that's how I've actually built that scale by thinking about what have I done? So if you're indifferent about the suffering of your neighbors, you're just kind of like, well, yeah, life sucks, you know, and some, for, some more for people than others. So uh, if, if you're going to move out of that because of your empathy, um, then you're moving into listening and learning and uh, talking and finally acting. So even though I had learned 
supposedly at Concordia College that I could teach, I really hadn't had the opportunity to listen and learn um, for what it would be like to teach students in poverty, to teach students um, who are all students of color, all marginalized communities. Uh, so then I had to go back and listen and learn. And luckily, my students were willing to tell me. Uh, we worked together and parents were willing to tell me. And I think what when you won't have that wealth of knowledge um, just built in, then you have to seek that out from anything from documentaries um, to, you know, why do all the black kids sit together in the classroom, you know, or in lunchroom, um, the book. It's your own listening and your own learning that needs to happen before you can then talk about it. Mm -hmm. I have talked about things that I haven't listened and learned about and I've screwed up. And so I have to go backwards and listen, learn, talk. And then I'm finally acting because I have built these, these stair steps to where my action makes sense and is informed by the people I'm actually trying to help. Aha, man, sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. just like blown Ding. away. That is brilliant. And it, <laughs> and it really makes me, so here, here I am saying, what could I have done? And I wish we could go back in time. And maybe it's not that because what I hear you saying is that comes, that's an intrinsic piece. So if I, if I maybe wasn't open to it prior, that's not mm -hmm. to say that it's my fault or it's not my fault, right. but I didn't have kind of that motivation to, to seek out or to learn and mm -hmm. listen because it wasn't part of in, in my peripheral. It was, I was just yeah. kind of in my own little white middle-class world, so to speak. Yes. That's um, the, that's what you, that's the ocean you swam in. Yeah. You didn't see anything else but the ocean. Yes. You know, and that's what we talk about things like white privilege, which people can get really concerned about that. Like, well, I, I don't have white privilege. I grew up poor on a farm, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so we, we always try to say that having uh, privilege doesn't mean that your life hasn't been hard. Having white privilege doesn't mean that your life hasn't been hard. It just means that your skin color wasn't the reason that it was hard. Um, so it's that, it's that idea of because unfortunately, or just the reality of our country is that it was built by white folks for white folks, um, you know, slavery for hundreds of years and um, saying who can be citizens and who can't. I mean, even it's only been a hundred years since the women could vote for crying out loud. So that's a whole other realm. Um, that's the reality is that there's been certain people that have had privileges more than others in, in our country, in our communities. Um, and, and acknowledging that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean you're horrible because your skin is white and we can't choose our own skin color, but it just means that yes, we swim in an ocean of whiteness because that's what this country was made to be. And now we're changing our country, our country is changing and we're trying to change with it. Uh, and so it, 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 the work is on all of us in order to be able to recognize where we fall short in our listening and our learning. And um, when we do anti-racism classes, if, if, if someone is just waking up to some of this, so we have like a history piece of, of about 20 minutes where it's like, listen, this is what happened to Native Americans. This is what happened um, to Hispanic folks. Did you know the border wasn't actually where the border is now? It's because of a war, you know, like just knock down, drag out 20 minutes of this place is for white people only, you know, it was built this way. And 
you sit there as a white person, and especially this is the first time you're kind of hearing all of this at once, like, well, I have so much guilt, you know? I mean, there are people that cry. It's just like, what? What have we done? And we can't do anything about that. We can't do anything about the past, but if we know what the past is, we can not be doomed to repeat it, or we can repeat it in the good ways. So not only have there been, you know, has this country been built by folks with white skin color for folks of white skin color, there's also been pushback all along the way from folks of all skin colors saying, this is not okay and we're gonna band together and make sure that, you know, Ruby Bridges can go to school wherever she darn well pleases. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at history, yes, we can be sad and yes, we can have some guilt, um, but it's moving, it's, it's recognizing that guilt and then moving past it. Some folks with our skin, with my skin color sit in the guilt and it's, there's so much guilt about it and, and they don't understand their privilege enough or don't, don't know how to understand their privilege enough that then it just becomes a stumbling block. And they, they move back into the, the ocean of whiteness and, and, and don't choose to listen and learn. It's so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was oh. just thinking. Like it feels yes. better to just be like, ah, than it is to have that, that and that I've experienced that feeling yeah. of guilt as well, especially when there are significant events and that I, I can say I have nothing to do with, but you know, like just because of right. the color of my skin, I do have mm. something to do with it. And so- um, but I get that, that it feels like it's like to sit in that and I, I'm going to pull in like Brene Brown, but yeah. I do have a, a dear friend who, when I spoke with her, I, I checked in with her and I said, how are you doing, um, after the murder of George Floyd? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I told her, I said, I feel kind of guilty. Like I wasn't mm. there and I didn't. And, and so she, she said, that's good. Like feel it. And now let's talk about it and let's do something. Right. Like it was like, it was so nice to hear that, that, that feeling mm -hmm. was, to, was validated. It was legit and it was, mm -hmm. it was normal, so to speak, um, for, for wherever sure. I am. But then now let, like, let's use that kind of as a launch pad to think yeah. about how we can move forward and, and move, like you said, from that indifference to the action. Right. And we know, if we're educators, we're not indifferent about the suffering of our students. No way. Even if you're in a, you know, a small Minnesota town with mostly middle-class students, you know the student that is suffering in poverty. You know, you know the student that um, has a learning disability, but the parents won't get them tested because they don't want the stigma. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's lines of difference that aren't just skin color, but when you add skin color to the mix and ethnicity um, and religion, as our Somali neighbors have, then it's just piling upon piling and it gets really difficult. After the murder of George Floyd, one of my girlfriends said, um, you know, she had already talked to her little boys. Her, she's black and her boys are black. And she already talked to her little boys who are like five and seven about this is what happens if the, if the police come up and you're like really having this discussion that I never have had to have with my boys. Mm -hmm. And so um, she said, isn't it, isn't it uh, interesting that, uh, or aren't you privileged? I mean, not in a bad way, but not like demeaning me, but aren't you privileged to have to teach your children about racism? Right. And that is so true. That is so true. They don't have to experience it, um, but but our students of color experience it 
at a very young age. And the, and the meaning and internalization of really truly understanding it. I mean, we as, we as educators or people that have experienced teaching, yes. we know that when, when you have like the best lesson plan with the best approach, there still <laughs> is that, like that piece missing where it has to be fully real world, relevant experience sort of right. a thing. And, and that teaching doesn't always hit that. And so for kids who that's like, that's their life, that's their yeah. world. And then kids who that's not their life. And they have to try to, they have to try to learn in order right. to understand or better understand. And I was actually, so I'm going to back up a little bit because I agree. Teachers can't be indifferent about, no, about no their way. students. And I like that you shared too, that the, that the lines of difference don't have to be just based on, or only based on um, the color of your skin. Yeah. I am wondering though, because you proceeded to talk about that there were layers of differences and, and it becomes so overwhelming. I wonder if, because there are those teachers who are going to hear this, our conversation right now, or who attends something, you know, that you, yeah. you've um, presented or that Unite Cloud has done any trainings and they still won't be moved to the next or bumped to the mm -hmm. next. But I'm wondering if it's not because that they're not acknowledging it, but more because it's so overwhelming. They have no idea what to yeah. do about it. Well, and if you're in a family or if you're raised in a family that's indifferent, or even worse, if you're raised in a family that is racist. I mean, that's the reality is that we have folks in central Minnesota who are racist and there's folks all over the country. It's not just a central Minnesota thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, now imagine that, that you go to this training and you're like, okay, yeah, I've been socialized in a way that really isn't going to work for me in the world where there's, you know, white, white folks are gonna be minority in 2040. And if, if trends go keep going as they are. And so if, if you're not retiring in the next 20 years, then you got to figure out a way to do this. And um, that didn't used to be the, the way it was. But if that's how you were socialized, and then you still have these connections with your family, maybe you still even live in the same area you grew up in, then you are taking a huge risk to change your life in this way. Because you're going to be the one at Thanksgiving that when you're racist uncle is using the n-word about Colin Kaepernick you're going to be the one that's going to say it's not okay with me and that's that's where I have been where I, I have got I got to the point in Atlanta when I would come back here um, and just you know talk with my friends who might say a racist joke or something of that nature I'd be like it's just not okay with me and they would look at me like what uh, because I wouldn't call it out before you know mm -hmm. it, I didn't like it before but until I really, until I realized how dreadfully hurtful um, this has been on marginalized folks in our, in our nation, uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to stand up and speak out. And so that's a choice. And it's a choice that comes with a lot of consequences. It really can. If, you, if you're in a conservative Christian church, that also, I mean, it's all these spaces within our communities and to decide to, to, um, be more welcoming or actively speak out against racism you know i mean to go <laughs> to go from someone who doesn't speak out to having a black lives matter t-shirt that's not just like an overnight thing yeah. um but that's my story and so when i wear my black lives matter mask or my brianna taylor mask 
people know right away who they're who they're dealing with you know I haven't ever gotten any bad I've gotten some weird looks but like I I want people to know right away that I'm an ally if you're a person of color I'm an active ally and I want folks with my skin color to know that I'm I'm not here for nonsense about our neighbors you know I'm I'm here for connection yes Thank you. I, you, your story, I'm, I'm fitting in two parts of your story. I am from central Minnesota. I am part of a family Mm -hmm. (laughs) who I currently, but I'm on the path of moving to take action. If that makes sense. I, I have yet to do that. And every time that I don't, I walk away going, I feel so guilty for not um, but that's my journey. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I'm right. on it. And I can only bet that so many people who right now are listening or watching feel that same way, especially mm-hmm. if we're talking people in the central Minnesota area, because it's like, like you said, there are spaces, there yeah. are these pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, the more you get outside of St. Right. Cloud, the more prevalent that is. And so it is, it does become super difficult to put yourself Mm-hmm. as the minority or as the, oh, the opposite sure. thinker and to take action but right. I I um I have to say I I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate this story you're sharing and that the more you you talk the more I feel compelled to continue moving forward so I think this is where we talk about that whole relationship building storytelling, yeah. and then being able to really transform a community Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. Thank you for so, being so honest about your, I mean, this is where we have to get to, we have to say like, and you've actually, that means you are moving because you see it and you feel guilty because you didn't do anything yeah. before the step before that is just seeing it and still being in the ocean of whiteness to the point where it's like, well, what are you exactly going to do? Yes. You know, yeah. yeah, they are who they are. Exactly. And they always will get to be who they are. They may never change. And it's not because they're horrible people, right? They've also been socialized in the same way that we were. And so when we say these pockets of people, those are, that's my family, you know, that's the people I grew up with in churches. That's the people I went to school with. So it's not, it's not like a us versus them sort of a thing. We're all us, we're all together. Uh, but it, it takes, take somebody to step out in the lead. And when that happens, uh, there are people that are, that will follow. I mean, that's what's happened with Unite Cloud is we started as a, as a Facebook page and a blog um, five and a half years ago. And to, to get to the point now where we have like a leadership team of multiple trainers and writers, and we have a a board of seven people, um, it's minority led, it's majority women led. um, And then to have myself on staff, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing what will happen when you speak out. That was all I was doing. It was literally a blog. That's it. Mm -hmm. And people, it was so polarizing. Mm-hmm. And it was so necessary to have this conversation that it's turned into this whole thing. Like, how did I get here where literally my, my job is to help people love their neighbors? And that's a job. And it's controversial. Too, you know? So, but that's where we are. <laughs> I was actually just thinking too, just by talking with you right now, um, I feel, like I said, with you sharing your story, I feel compelled or inspired to continue forth with my journey. Um, so it, 
it feels like what you're doing with Unite Cloud isn't just loving your neighbor if you're not white, if that makes right. sense. Where it's, yes. it's like just recognizing that that we are all a part of this bigger picture and sure. that embracing and not saying, I don't see color or not saying right. we are just going to talk about everything that connects us and there are no differences or you know, <laughs> right, but right. instead it's, whoa, like this difference is amazing yeah. and it's unique and it's something that can teach me, mm-hmm. you know, just as much as I can teach um, others, but I have just as much to learn and, you know, maybe even more because I've been, I've been raised and grown in, in yeah. maybe a little bit of foggy foggy lenses. So, um, but I appreciate that too, where it's, it sounds like there is, there is this passion for projecting the love, your neighbor, the love, the Mm -hmm. entire community, but it's not excluding people who are white or who are, um, have that privilege. It's, it's all, all of us together. It's very Paul Wellstoney, you know, when we all do better, we all do better. And we know that as educators, we know that when there is one of our children in our math class, that is way far behind compared to every other kid, that they're going to take up a lot more of our time that, you know, there's going to have to be some kids that are ahead that are probably helping some other kids in the classroom with some, while I'm, while I'm helping this one little boy who needs the most help. I mean, that's, that is the reality of education. Mm-hmm. And when, when we can equalize what's going on, and that, that's what's tough because white folks have always had more power and so, and, and folks of color haven't. And so we're not really asking for white folks to give up anything. You know, we're just asking for everybody to be able to survive and thrive and have the same chances as you and I. And we know that as educators, that that when there's people who aren't able to survive and thrive in in our education system as much as others, that it's actually detrimental to the whole class or the whole school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not, it, it was imperative for us to bring those supports in. And it's imperative for all the teachers to get around and just talk about that one student. I mean, that's in the St. Cloud School District. That's what building assets, reducing risks is all about. Literally every, every single teacher in the ninth grade sitting around talking about their students. I mean, one of my, uh, one of person on the school board was like, that's what they did like 50 years ago. But that's what's needed is, yeah, you know what? Actually, he told me that this was going on in his household. So maybe we need to bring in the counselor and we have the pieces that we need in education. Yes, we're underfunded, but we still have the pieces that we need in education in order to really come around all of our students. Yeah. Um, can you tell me, so a little, I was actually thinking, have you heard of affinity groups? Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, that was one piece that I was thinking might be something to just talk about. I know I, I learned that from um, a previous recording that I did with Dr. Yeah. Naomi Taylor. And I thought that was brilliant in learning more about that. Um, but I would like you though, to be able to share you, you mentioned there are some trainings that, that Unite mm-hmm. Cloud does um, and specifically connecting to the people who are awake to it and are mm-hmm. ready to receive it a little bit mm-hmm. more. So can you share a couple of the different trainings or maybe yeah. some, some things that um, you've noticed are really key for educators to mm-hmm. consider? Um, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about affinity groups. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, there's um, a lot of our trainings are, are culturally specific and they're, uh, they're led by folks from that culture. So Ayan Omar, who I mentioned earlier, she'll do, she'll come into schools and do some other cultural training, but, um, and we have uh, Latino, Latina cultural training as well. But really what the two, the two of the most popular uh, um, trainings that were brought in to do, um, I'm brought in to do either that mo moving from indifference to action training and talking about that scale mm -hmm. and then using um, examples from central Minnesota classrooms um, and school districts to say, what would you do if this happened in your classroom? And then using that indifference to action scale saying, okay, I, I would need to listen and learn, or I would, that'd be a moment when I would actually speak up and act. Um, so that, that's one of the, the trainings we do. Another one that I do um, that is, is always amazing and I love leading it is um, being a white teacher in a multiracial classroom. Uh, and so really it's, again, it's my story because that was, that's who I am. I was, a I was a white teacher in a, it wasn't even multiracial, it was all black. So um, uh, that, that really gets to the heart of why are we educators in the first place? And then what do we do in our own journey in order to be able to make sure we're able to serve all of our students um, in ways that help them survive and thrive? And uh, like I talked about before, Ayan Omar does this great training and she's one of our, um, uh, one of the people on our speaking team. She teaches high school. She came here um, as a refugee when she was in middle school, um, came to Georgia actually, and then moved up here. And so she is able to bring this training about seeing the child before the student. And she weaves in um, especially some cultural pieces around uh, students of color and um, immigrant and refugee students uh, that really can help us understand how we not only need to see the child, but we need to understand the child's culture and background in order to really be able to serve the student the best way that we can. That's fabulous. And I'm thinking actually there, I, I appreciate too that you said that, that it's very culture specific or it's specific and the presenters are, um, are part of that piece right. as well uh, with the, the relicensing for teachers, they have this required area right. of cultural competency. Right. And I, I'm floored by how then do, how does one say I've been trained? You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. When it's Four just hours later. competency. And even the word competency has That's been argued even, as well. Like it's it, not a thing anymore. You're never competent in no. that. It's something that you're always learning. So um, One I, of the I, trainings we do at St. Cloud State is um, cultural humility. And so okay. that's really what I've started to use instead of cultural competency. You can never be competent in another person's culture, just yes. the long and short of it. Um, but you can be culturally humble. And that, again, brings in your own personal work. So you're looking at your own life and you're looking at your own triggers and you're looking at your own socialization. And you're able to then really, so, so because we're swimming, <clears throat> excuse me, because we're uh, swimming again in this, this ocean of whiteness. We, I remember one time someone said to one of my friends who, who's uh, Latina, she said, I wish I had culture like you do. And that stuck with me because then I'm thinking to myself, well, we do have culture as white folks, but it's just so, permeated 
-hmm. um, within our, our communities and within central Minnesota that the culture just is, whiteness just is. And yeah. then we see a difference and we're like, I wish I had a culture. Well, no, you have a culture, it's just the norm. And so um, that cultural humility really brings in that piece that's like, who am I? And then if I can know who I am, then I can start to learn who others are in a way that's with humility instead of, and curiosity and knowing that I'm never gonna know it all. Yeah. And thanks for using that word curiosity because I think that's a, a big piece um, <clears throat> in growing in personally um, moving forward to understand and recognize that you'll never, you'll never know it all. Mm -hmm. And it's always that learning journey. And, and I like that you use the word humble and humility, because mm -hmm. I do think vulnerability is a key piece as well. Um, right. But with that, it's interesting because I do think that the only time or one of the only times that people really will engage in a space that encourages them to be vulnerable is when they feel that sense of safety and trust. Yeah. And so, right. but how do you build trust if you have not experience sort of a thing so it's kind of like it all just kind of um webs together yes you know like sure. where one impacts the next impact right. and then as you feel like you have more connection or you feel safe and can trust that others on the journey are there to support you and to learn on their mm -hmm. um, own then you can be vulnerable and right. when you're vulnerable then you can learn more but then you know so it just keeps I know going. chicken and the egg for sure yeah um <clears throat> so I'm about affinity groups too right oh yes yes thank you <laughs> so the, actually I was just in a, a call about that with with my um for my school board work um and hearing about our, our affinity groups and that's um something that we've done in um in trainings as well uh, we partnered with St. Cloud State for some trainings and and we did um uh, an anti-racism workshop um, up in northern Minnesota with college professors and um, they there was a diverse group of college professors and we did that the four, four hour anti-racism training and then we went into affinity groups so you could identify if you wanted to go into the group um, with folks who are white um, or folks who are non-white um, and so that and th then we had a couple questions and I was the leader of the, the group who was white. And then my friend, uh, Deborah, who's a black woman was the leader of the people of color group. And it was really different. Once we came back together and shared what happened there, like you said, there was that sense of safety. Like, I don't have to explain what it's like to be white to these folks. Like that you, we already know what it's like to be white. We already know the guilt that can come with that. We already know the socialization that makes us makes it hard for us to move out of it. Um, so then it's it can be like, yeah, collectively we get it. What can we do about it? Sort of a thing. And you know, the group of people of color was like, I mean, man, we're tired. <laughs> you know, like this is a tiring life. You know, so it's it's um it's being with people who just get it, and then coming together and saying, Do you know this? Do you know what that when we did this, this is what came out. So uh, that, that works, that worked really well for that training. And, and we've seen it in the St. Cloud School District work really well with our teachers as well. We have proudly um, the same percentage of teachers of color, um, uh, staff of color, I should say, in St. Cloud School District that, they, that Minneapolis and St. Paul does. Um, but that's still only 7%. Yep. 
and the majority of Minnesota has more like 0.5% on average. Um, and so yes, the pipeline, we're creating some pipeline uh, of, of students of color going to be teachers of color, but it's also the retention. And so that's where those affinity groups really come in is where, where we can not only recruit, but also retain um, teachers of color. And that goes down to the student level as well. You know, we, um, I can think of our, our LGBTQ uh, students and knowing in the Minnesota student survey, they're in danger, literally danger of dying from suicide, especially our trans students. So we, we have to see that danger and then, and then move into a place where they can feel some safety. And so to have those affinity groups at high schools and middle schools, like we do in St. Cloud now, it's just, it's, the only, it's like for survival. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, to be in a room where you already feel like people get know you and get you, that's definitely a way to move forward. There are like eight questions. <laughs> we don't have a ton of time. <laughs> Only eight? What? Oh, I'm just right. Gonna... <laughs> right? I love that you do. Oh, so, okay. Talking about affinity groups. Yeah. Um, it can be among staff. Mm -hmm. And I see PLCs even. I see mm -hmm. some sort of, you know, like the overall initiative theme, whatever it might be. And I see the weekly PLCs followed by like either a once a month, everybody comes together and we, we really share mm -hmm. some of the growth and conversation that have happened in these smaller, more intimate settings. But then you mentioned the student yeah. affinity groups and that is so, so necessary mm -hmm. and so brilliant to do. Um, and I, so that was one of my, just when you mentioned that, I thought there are so many wheels that are turning right now mm for things that can be done to allow people that feeling of safety, that yeah. little bit more of trust where there are those identifiers where I, I know what you're, what you're saying, right. or I know all that, and then pulling it all back um, as back with the big, the big whole picture. The right. Group. right. Um, and then, so now I have kind of a personal story question for yeah. you. When you were talking about um, the LGBTQ mm -hmm. uh, community, so we've seen the Black Lives Matter then retort, but all lives matter. Right. And I think I think on one of Unite Clouds posting, I saw the really truthful, witty, which was great, which is why I was like, yes, mm -hmm. the idea of right, save the rainforest or like, like rainforest yes. matter, all forests matter. All trees matter. Thing. It's like, well, but right. you know, yes, all, the, all of them do. Let's look at though, which one right now or which are, are literally on fire. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so with right now in the pandemic and times mm -hmm. where the rate of suicide, mm -hmm. um, mental health needs is just skyrocketing if, if we don't see some of these students who are marginalized as mm -hmm. having that extra layer of need and support and that time and energy, because I, I didn't hear straight out, but somebody, we were, we were having a conversation about supporting one particular student. Mm. Um, and then it was all of our students need support right now. And yes, yes. <laughs> 
So it was just one of those moments where in my head, that light bulb went off and I connected mm-hmm. and I'm like, Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. Right. And that rainforest, the forest piece. And so, right. um, how- yeah, there's another cartoon that, <laughs> that is like, there's, there's two houses next to each other and one house is on fire, like crazy on fire. And then the fireman is, is putting the hose on the other house that's not on fire. And yeah. people are like, no, 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 this house is on fire over here. And he's like, all houses matter. Yes. You know, so like that, that, that definitely, there's a wake up moment when you, when you see that happening in real life. Like, yes, all students matter. Yes. yes. But this is the reality of education is that some students need more supports than others. And Absolutely. for our LGBTQ students, just... I, there's one teacher um, that my daughter has that just is doing it right. He's just doing it right. He asked for the kids' pronouns right away at the beginning. Um, and, you know, most are have the pronouns that they're assigned with at birth. He's a sixth grade teacher. Um, but some don't. And then if they're willing to share that, that means they've already been on a journey. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. And so just by asking that, it's validating and you know, nobody has to use any different pronouns just because they're saying that, but, but it's like, I know that this might be one of the ways I can connect with you. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's not even that hard, you know, but I remember going back, I remember the first time that I was asked for my pronouns. This was about six years ago in the community. When I first started to be an organizer, I had no idea what that meant. So I'm in a room of fellow organizers. I'm the newest one there. And I was just glad I didn't go first because they said, well, say your name and what group you're from and then your pronouns. And I'm like, your pronoun, what the, what does it even mean? And so then, you know, luckily I, he, him, his, oh, okay, she, her, hers. So I knew what to do when I got there, but that's been one of the intentional parts of our training is like, we do um, do pronouns on name tags and stuff, but we, we explain why, like, this is why we're doing this um, because if you haven't done it before, you feel like the lone man out. Like, not only do I not know what we're doing, but then I feel bad that I don't know what we're doing. Mm, yes. Or even is. why we're doing it, you know? <laughs> yes, that little bit of guilt on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, so like you said, it's not that hard. The one piece for me that I'm continuing to catch myself and I tell people I appreciate when they call me out mm. on the misuse is the use of they, them, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my brain goes to the idea of that being plural, um, yes, you know, multiple. Yes. And then we've worked, we're referring to somebody, a single yes. person. Um, but there are so many amazing YouTube videos, just people who yeah. have really shared both the reasoning behind it, but right. how right. you can train your brain to see yeah. the connection between they, them, there, mm-hmm. not as plural, but that, that's, um, that's that choice right. that referring to them and not having that hiccup. Well, I, oh. one of my non-binary friends was like, Hey, if you, if you mess up and say he, what, what they don't want me to do is be like, Oh my goodness. I am so sorry. I don't know why I can't get this right. And, you know, instead, you know, if I say he, and then they say, Oh, remember they, them. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Thank you. Thank you for that. So when they were then, you know, don't, don't bring your Catholic or Lutheran guilt, whichever one you were raised in, into that situation. Like, don't make it a big deal. Just thank them, 
say it the right way and move on. Um, very similar to like if, if you have a, a have kids in your class with, with a name that you don't know how to pronounce, um, you know, to ask them and the, so they'll say it and then, you know, you say it back until you get it right and then you say thank you, you know, and you write down, you know, syllable by syllable which one so you can get it right the next time but what a lot of our students um, with more uh, with, with different ethnic sounding names have said is you know sometimes they'll say well you can just you can call me whatever you want and I'm like no I, I really it's important for me to know your name and I want to be able to work on this um, and so it's those choices of what am I doing in the first minutes of meeting my students of meeting teachers I'm training um, that that is showing I am here for everybody and I know there's difference in this room and I'm and I'm really making sure that I'm I'm pointing it out and, and celebrating it. Awesome. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask I, I we already have been talking I believe for almost an hour which is Woo! I knew this was going to happen like I said <laughs> it's going to be a super simple conversation and um, thank you for really not only sharing your story, but I selfishly have definitely um, walked away with what I feel is <laughs> the benefit of, man, I'm saturated or I'm beautiful. soaking it all up. So oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I I'm super excited. And I'd like for you to share a little bit more because I, our hopes are that we'll be able to, you had referenced some of your wonderful speakers that you work with mm -hmm. at Unite Cloud to be able to create either a series or a couple of sessions and then maybe down the road, um, maybe this fall have an in-person um, uh, sort of a thing that we can follow up and, and learn more and hear more. Um, could you share a little bit about, uh, I know with ours, it's the green card voices, but it's yes. Unite Cloud. So yes. could you share yes. a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have a speaking and training team of folks from all over the world that now call Central Minnesota home. And uh, there are many different religions, uh, many different ethnicities and cultures, um, speak way more languages than I do, which I speak one English, that's it. Um, and so they're able to bring such a richness of diversity and um, different ways of, of including folks uh, that, that really the trainings are, are, um, are definitely a time of learning, but also just a time of connection. And I think that's what we've been doing here even today is that these are the way that this is the way that relationships are formed. So when we go into a training, like any of the ones I had just mentioned, you that person then can't say, oh, I've never had a training on Somali culture, or I've never met anyone who's Somali, or I've never talked to um, a man from uh, Mexico who now calls St. Cloud home. You know, then you can say, well, actually, I was at this one training, and Ion said this, and, and it gives a, a personal touch yeah. um, to a really difficult uh, subject a lot of the time. So um, we do have a wonderful exhibit called Central Minnesota Green Card Voices, and it is 18 first-generation refugees and immigrants um, that live and work and go to school here in Central Minnesota area. Um, it's its own self-standing exhibit. There's a QR code where you can scan it with your smartphone or your iPad, and it goes to a YouTube video of that person telling their story for five minutes. And this is, um, the exhibit is rental, and any school district can contact us about that, but also the videos um, the, are on YouTube and they're free. So they can be put, I know 
there's many classrooms across central Minnesota that use them um, in their history and even in their art. I mean, really in any, any place where they can insert a voice from someone who wasn't born in America. Uh, and then a lot of those folks that are featured in our Green Card Voices exhibit are the folks that are on our speaking team. Um, so it's, you know, everyone, anyone from Colombia to Mexico um, to Pakistan, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a world of difference that now lives right here in the St. Cloud area, central Minnesota. Um, so I, we're really excited to continue working with, with students and teachers, you know, there's these common spaces and I think you and I talked about that a little bit, Steph, where it's like, we're all going to meet in education. We're all going to meet in healthcare, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's just the truth, whether we want to or not, you don't get to choose who you're in a classroom with. Mm -hmm. You don't get to choose who's in the hospital bed next to you. You know, this is just, this is us, this is community. And so to be able to, um, to really know who's in our community, but then also be able to take your self work to the next step so that we can continue to act in ways that, that are, are good for ourselves and our neighbors. I love it. So if anybody who is listening or watching right now, Natalie, would like to get in touch with either you um, or with Unite Cloud and either ask questions or mm -hmm. wanna um, get some training or yeah. have even the exhibit come out to their, their mm -hmm. site, how would they do that? Yeah, so we can, uh, you can go to our website. It is www.unitecloud.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Unite Cloud. We're on Twitter at Unite Cloud MN. And we're on Instagram at Unite Cloud as well. My email address um, that you can send it to is info at unitecloud.org. Um, or if you go to our website, all that stuff is on there and we have a contact form to make it super simple for you and that comes to me and I'll answer you. So um, yeah, website is probably the easiest one to go to, unitecloud.org. Okay, and we on the resource sheet will have linked all of these things Wonderful. as well. So they'll just be able to click on it and get straightly connected with you. Yay. So again, Natalie, thank you, thank you for taking the time to have the conversation with me. I am so honored and so excited to be able to continue the work with you. Um, one piece that you said that resonated with me is the idea that even though the exhibit itself or the green card voices is, is rental, that there are so many free opportunities. And that's the same with like this recording is free for people mm -hmm. to listen because it's the message. It's the idea that we need to connect um, and expand our connections and our networking to be able to like you said, grow those healthier communities. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Um, like I said, I, I'm honored that you were able to take oh, your time. Too and, sweet. And have this thank you for having me here. Thank yes, you. yes. Um, okay, so thank you to all of you for taking the time to join our Learning Minnesota discussion with Natalie Ringsmuth on the topic of how relationships can transform community. Don't forget to visit our site, www.learningmn.com, for additional resources on this particular topic and more videos in our resource library. Mm -hmm.